You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. All right, so Matthew chapter 4, this week, this is Phil's month, and I got a text and a call last night from um, Brother Walsh. Somebody in his house um, has come down with uh, possibly COVID, Um, so they are quarantining, and um, he was supposed to fill in for Brother Phil, and now I am filling in for both of them. So... um, Matthew chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. The title of this message, if I were to give a title, would be Led into Temptation. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be anchored and in and then coming back to, going away from and then coming back to Matthew chapter 4, this is the temptation of Jesus. Our central focus for this message this morning is Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Oh, we thank you for your inspired book, Lord. We uh, thank you for your Holy Ghost, Lord. We thank you for... Oh, Lord, you're so good to us. And we deserve nothing better but hell, Lord, and you have given us so many more things. You've given to those who are under the blood here this morning. You've given us a hope of eternity in heaven, Lord an assurance of that, Lord, and you've given us so many more blessings down here, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, as um, we bring forth this message, Lord, that you would bring it forth and that you would silence me where I need to be silenced and um, just give me the words that I would say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. We understand that what happens is that Jesus then thereafter spends 40 days in the wilderness where he fasts and where he's with, in the Gospel of Mark it says he's, he's with the wild beasts. Um, and then afterwards, he's tempted of the devil afterwards, and after that temptation for 40 days, the Bible says that Jesus then hungered and then we read about the temptation that happens where Jesus is, is tempted by the devil, um, the thing that is actually written in Scripture. But Jesus spent 40 days before what we read in the Gospel being tempted. If we were to begin this story, where it actually begins is in Matthew chapter 3. The Bible says... Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And John forbade him, saying, I I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, suffer it, be so, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight, straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. We understand from Scripture, we see as the Bible opens up for us the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and then the, the inception of Jesus Christ, or the conception of Jesus Christ, I should say, and then the birth of Jesus Christ, and then we find a little bit more about Jesus Christ several years later, or several days later after he's, he's um, circumcised, and then several years pass by, and we read a little bit more about Jesus in the temple, but then there's this long gap in history, in our Bibles, about the life of Jesus. He spent close to 30 years before he ever entered the ministry that he was born to, to walk into. He spent close to 30 years being what we assume or believe him to be a carpenter. He spent 30 years in the city of Nazareth where he grew up, a city that in, in the eyes of the Jews was in some way despised because it was like a, a hub, an international hub, and there were many Gentiles, unclean Gentiles there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. He spent 30 years knowing exactly who he was and what he was sent to do. And there were few people who saw that and believed that, but for the most part, no one knew or saw that. We can see that testimony and we can recognize that testimony if we were to read after this temptation of Jesus, which we won't, but we see that when Jesus enters into his ministry after this temptation that he goes into a city, Nazareth, and he goes and he reads on the Sabbath day. The Bible says that it was Jesus' habit to be in church on the Sabbath day. That he made a habit of going to church. The Bible says that Jesus was stood up to read and he read out of a portion of Isaiah and then he sat down and he said, this day hath this scripture been fulfilled and this was a prophecy. Everyone knew what he was reading. Everyone understood that this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Then he sat down and then he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they all looked at him and they wondered and amazed and they didn't believe that he was who he said he was, who he declared right there. They didn't believe it so much that they took him out to kill him. And the Bible says that Jesus pretty much disappeared and passed through their midst. Jesus spent 30 years of his life being the eternal one, being still the omnipotent one, being still the omniscient one, being still the all-wise God, being the Savior, being the Messiah, and not being known as the all-wise God. Spent 30 years. Not being known as the omnipotent one. Jesus spent 30 years, and they knew him by Jesus, the son of Joseph. But they didn't know him as Jesus, the son of God. 
I cannot imagine going through that. I cannot imagine what Jesus went through during that time. Read some lyrics from a song that's spoken to me to you to catch, help you to catch the grasp of what we are speaking about when we speak about the temptation of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus in his lifetime. You can read about his virgin birth, that holy night when he came down to earth. And the Bible says that he grew up in the town of Nazareth. The only childhood story about him was in the temple in Jerusalem. A boy became a man of destiny between 12 and 33. 18 years are a mystery. His last three years he made history. Became the savior he was meant to be between 12 and 33. There's nothing written about his formative years. For a while it's like he just disappeared. All the Bible says is he grew wise and found favor in God's eyes. When he got older and the time had come, he started proving to the world who he was. Each step he took led straight to Calvary between 12 and 33. 18 years are a mystery. His last three years, he changed everything. Became the Savior he was meant to be, sent to be, between 12 and 33. And then Jesus comes to John the Baptist, the greatest prophet this world has ever known and ever seen. That ears have ever, ever been able to hear the greatest prophet, John the Baptist. He comes to him to be, and I don't say that, Jesus said that. He comes to him to be baptized, to enter into his ministry. And in this baptism, for the first time in many, many years, at least as far as we know from Scripture, and I, I can imagine during those years between 18 and 30 where Jesus is being a carpenter and he looks around the Nazareth and he sees all the families being broken apart and all the people dying that he could have healed or he could have raised from the dead. And he sees all of this spiritual need surrounding him. And I can imagine... In those times where, where his silent years, when he wanted so badly to help, so badly to preach, so badly to declare him to be the man of sorrows, declare himself to be the man of sorrows, so badly wanted to declare himself to be what his name is, wonderful counselor and the mighty God, so badly wanted to declare himself to be the one that binds up the broken heart, and he was silenced by God. God did not allow him to speak. God did not allow him to declare himself to be the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father. His time had not come. I can't imagine that. The trial that that would have been. And then he finally enters into his ministry. And God looks upon him from heaven. And the Bible says that it could be heard that God said from heaven. A voice was heard from heaven. And it was understood that God spoke from heaven. And he said, Lo, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A mountaintop experience for Jesus. A mountaintop experience 
And isn't it so often, Christian, that you will experience a mountaintop and often right after that mountaintop becomes your greatest moment of temptation? It's not a fact of life, but it's a principle of life. It's something that you will see happen over and over again in others' lives and something you will see happen over and over again in your life. That some of your hardest times will come after the great mountaintop experiences. And then after this mountaintop experience where Jesus is finally declared once again to be, for the first time in his adult life, out of the voice of heaven is declared to be God's son, is declared to be the Messiah, is declared to be God himself. The Bible then says that Jesus was immediately taken up by the Spirit and led and led into the wilderness to be tempted. Did you catch that? He was led by God, not by Satan. He was led by God to be tempted. And the Gospel of Mark, it says it it this way, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. And the Gospel of Luke, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We serve a God who is sovereign. And what that means is that Jesus has a right to rule all things and all things are in his control. What that does not mean is that Jesus controls everything that happens. Jesus didn't mean for you to sin. He didn't control that. But he allowed it. That's his sovereignty. The Bible says that Jesus led, God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Not that God himself tempted Jesus to sin, but that he was tempted of Satan and God allowed this to happen. It isn't just, though, that God allowed this to happen, it was on God's schedule for it to happen. He was led of God to be tempted. Sometimes the wilderness in your life, Christian, sometimes it comes in the form of a bad health report, a heart issue, cancer, some other kind of sickness, COVID. Sometimes it comes in the form of the poor health of somebody who is very close to us and and very dear to us. Sometimes this wilderness comes comes in the form of financial loss or financial instability. Sometimes this, this wilderness comes in just the everyday stuff. Sometimes it's the government that brings this wilderness and sometimes it is the spiritual life of another. It's a family member who's wandered away from God. It's a child who's in rebellion. It's someone else that we've poured our lives into, but 
has now surprised us and turned their back on God. The wilderness for each of us is different, but we all have a wilderness that we must spend time in. And you will all spend time in the wilderness. That is just a fact of life. And that wilderness will take different forms, and sometimes it will be more than one thing at the same time. But there's wilderness for all of us. The foundation for us to learn to suffer well and embrace the sufferings that God has brought to us and led us into is for us to settle the fact that it didn't happen by accident. That God's not sitting up in heaven and scratching his finger and wondering, I wonder how I'm going to get Aaron out of this one. You have an appointment with a trial. You have an appointment with a tribulation. It's not on your schedule, and you would never put that on your schedule. But God loves you more than you love yourself. And he puts it on your schedule. Before you were ever formed in the womb of your mother, you had an appointment. There was an appointment date for your cancer. There was an appointment date for your health. There was an appointment date. In God's schedule of your life, there was a time where God said, on this day and on this hour, you're going to learn about this in your life. It's going to be a wilderness for you. God will lead you into suffering. Are you okay with that, Christian? Can you trust him to lead you into temptation? Can you trust God? Is that okay in your heart? That what we have here is very clearly spelled out in scripture. You can see it in other places. That just as God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, he will lead you and I into the wilderness to be tempted. He will lead you and I into trials. It's not that it just happens by accident, but it happens in God's timetable for you. Oh, and it's a special and a precious timetable. Psalm 139, please. You can keep your uh, finger in Matthew chapter 4. I want you to flip over to Psalm number 139. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Thou compasseth my path. I have a path to walk in this life, and you surround it. You're over here in the woods, and over here on this side of the woods, and in my path, you are even before me, and you see what's ahead of me, and I follow you. I follow you as, that, as the children of Israel did through the wilderness. They followed that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire. I follow the path that you've set for me. You are 
in front of me. You compasseth my path. Oh, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and hast laid thine hand upon me. Do you know that what happened to you that, is, that caused the trial that you are in right now, that God knew what was going to happen before it ever happened? The trial that Beth and I are in right now, God knew that it would happen before it ever happened, and we are finding out how much he has beset us behind and before. Where she just before we had to figure out whether or not we're going to be able to purify our things, had just been led of the Lord to buy certain things that now we're coming out to find out that we needed. Just yesterday, I think it was, my wife, he has beset me behind, and he has beset me before. Just yesterday, my wife went out to get a jacket. She needs new clothes. It's still up in the air whether or not we're going to be able to purify those things. And she went out to get a jacket, and she saw one for a really good deal. It was only $70, but on clearance, it was $35. It's an excellent deal. That's awesome. The Lord has set, beset me behind and before. Then she gets up to the cash register, and it is $3. A brand new coat, $3. Do you have a need? God knows what your need is. And sometimes he'll provide that need before you ever even know that you have a need. And he'll, he'll travel the path before you to make sure that you have what you need. You just follow that light. Follow his path. Even in what we consider to be the menial everyday things such as shopping at Meijer. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand Upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Verse 6. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. There is no place that I can go, no wilderness that I can go, no temptation that I can go through, no trial that I can go through, no hard circumstances, whether it's a trial of my, of my health, whether it's the trial of the health of somebody that I love, whether it's the trial of finances, whether it's... it's some other kind of trial and any kind of trial that you can think of, I can understand that there's no place that I can go without my God, that he is always with me. His name is Emmanuel. Lord, I'm always in your presence. I cannot run from your love. You're behind me and before, underneath and above. The darkness and the light are both the same to you. I couldn't hide from your spirit, even if I wanted to. My Emmanuel, you are with me. Oh, Emmanuel, there's nowhere you won't be. If I take the wings of the morning or fall into the deepest sea, even there, even there you are with me. If I ascend up to heaven or make my bed below, I know your hand will hold me wherever I may go. Before I was formed, you already knew my days. You had them scheduled out for me. Even the trials that you would lead me into. Lord, I have no secrets. You know every path I take. 
How precious are your thoughts, O God, they're always on me. More in number than the sand, O how great your love must be. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's room. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance while I was in my mother's womb, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. We are led into temptation by God. We are led into trials and sufferings by God. We are led by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, into our trials and afflictions. Would a loving God do that? This is the thrust of the message, and if you get nothing more than this, get this. That what you have in your life, the heartache and what you're experiencing, is what God has led you into. And he wants you to be there for a purpose, for a reason. If you can settle this in your heart, that the same God who is all-loving is the same God who is sovereign. That the same God who suffered for you also loved you so much that he suffered for you. Also led you into suffering. And you are on the foundation you need to suffer well. If you can settle that in your heart. That even the hard times are the path that God has led you to that you have the sturdy foundation to understand what it means to suffer well and to not just survive your trials and afflictions and temptations and sufferings, but to thrive in your trials and temptations and sufferings, to thrive in them. God didn't mean for you to just get through your temptations and your trials by the skin of your teeth. He meant for you to thrive in them But if your thoughts are filled with feeling sorry for yourself, which sometimes is easy to do. Actually, it's very easy to do. If your thoughts are filled with feeling sorry for yourself rather than serving others, you're going to miss it. If your thoughts are filled with, why would a God who loves me allow this to happen to me? You're going to miss it rather than a God who loves me allowed this to happen to me. Do you understand the difference? It's not that, why would a God who loves me allow this to happen to me? It is that a God who loves you led you into temptation, led you into trials. And if you settle in your heart already that you know that God led you into this trial, and that the same God loves you, then you know that it is for a far greater purpose than any of your earthly comforts, any of your ease of life, that there's something bigger. There's something of far greater weight. There's something of far greater value. But if you're looking for a way to get out of the wilderness before he's done with you in the wilderness, you're going to miss what God has for you. If you're looking, though, to embrace the suffering, as many who have gone on before us did, then you can thrive in your suffering. 
It is only when we believe the truth that this didn't happen by accident, that God led us to this dry and thirsty land. Right into the middle of this storm can we begin to embrace our suffering and suffer well. Only then can we realize the fullness of the purpose of our suffering. There is a purpose. And so we ask the question many times, why would God allow this to happen? And there's a way in which you can ask this to where you're shaking your fist at God. And if that is you here this morning, Christian, where you're shaking your fist at God, saying, why would God allow this to happen to me? Then what you're saying as you're shaking your fist at God, number one, that you don't fear him, and you need to fear a God that judges Number one, that you don't trust him, that you don't believe that, number two, but you don't believe that he loves you, that you don't believe that he's the all-wise God, that you don't believe that he is actually who he says he is. When you take your fist and shake it at God and say, why are you doing this to me, God? You need to change your perspective. You need to change your thoughts. You need to repent. But sometimes we can ask this question, why would God allow this to happen to me? And we can ask this in the right spirit, in the right heart attitude. It's a place where you're looking for what God is doing in your life. You're looking for what God has for you. Let me preface this by noting that sometimes when people ask this question, they are more seeking answers about the specifics. Either they are wondering what specifically God is trying to teach them in the wilderness. And you should ask this question, but I wouldn't get too hung up on what God is specifically trying to teach you. Ask him. But sometimes he doesn't actually tell us. And sometimes we can be in a wilderness and we can be in the trial, we can be in the affliction, and we look at it and we say, I don't know what this was worth. I don't see any value in this. I don't see me changed. I don't see me spiritually changed. God hasn't revealed to me why he's doing this. Why he's led me into this wilderness. And I will say that don't get too hung up on that question. Ask it. And if God wants to provide you the answer, he will give it to you. But sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes those moments where you have a hard time seeing what it's worth and you have a hard time seeing whether or not you grew from it, sometimes those are the times where others notice that you've grown the most. Sometimes the times where we grow the most are the times where we have no idea it's happening. That's why I say, Christian, don't get too hung up on that. Or when they ask this question, they are wondering what beauty God will exchange for the ashes that they have received. Why will God allow this to happen to me? Why has he led me into this wilderness? They're looking for the end result of what they're going through. Jesus received a ministry of suffering for three years after this temptation. He healed many, he preached the gospel to many, and he had many followers, but then in the end, they all left him. Then he was crucified. 
Then he spent three days in the grave, and then he rose again. And when he rose again from the grave, that is when Jesus saw the purpose for his suffering fulfilled. What he went through for those 33 years upon this earth, those silent years, and those years where we know much about him, what he went through in those three years, and then that suffering and death on the cross, what he went through, the purpose of that was never, he knew that it would happen, but the purpose of that was never revealed until eternity, until he stepped into eternity, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, Despise the shame? Is that what it says? I'm having trouble quoting that. Somebody help me. And set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus didn't see the glory of his suffering while he was in his suffering. And he didn't even see the fullness of the glory of his suffering while he was on this earth. He never truly saw it until he sat down on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That he never saw it until he entered heaven. And I exhort you, Christian, that some of the suffering that you will go through, you will never see the fullness of the purpose until you are with him in heaven for eternity. That's a walk of faith. Your Hebrews chapter 11 is much about that. Where they looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. That Abraham never saw the fullness of the promise that was given to him. He never saw it. But God's not a liar. And the promise was still fulfilled and is still being fulfilled. That Abraham never realized the fullness. And will never realize the fullness of the promise. And the blessings that God has bestowed upon him. Until eternity. That's a walk of faith, Christian. Many of us will see the beauty if we suffer well every time it is for our spiritual purification. Sometimes the beauty for ashes that are exchanged will be kind of like Job's where you'll actually see something happen. But always it is for your spiritual purification every single time. How many of you need to be purified spiritually? Would you raise your hand? Do you need to be purified spiritually? All of us do. Doesn't matter how holy you are, doesn't matter how humble you are, you still need a little bit more humbling. Doesn't matter how, how much you know about God and how close you are to Him and how intimate you are to Him, there's still a measure in which you can get closer to Him. There's still a measure in which you can be more intimate with Him. There's still a measure in which you can know Him more intimately and know who He is. Sometimes it will come in the form of a greater ministry. But always, every single time, it will not only just be for your spiritual purification, but it will also be for a more eternal weight of glory. So why would God allow this to happen to me? Why would God lead you into the wilderness? Why would God lead you into your trials and afflictions? Peter says it this way, wherein you greatly rejoice, 
Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than the weight of gold that perisheth. Christian, your financial troubles, your financial wilderness, the trial of your faith is so much weightier in eternal gold than any of the gold that you can have down here on earth. The trial of your health, the trial of your loss, whatever wilderness you're in, there's a far greater reward in heaven. There's a far greater weight of glory that is immeasurable, incomparable. There's something far greater, something far more important than any of your earthly comforts. Any of your earthly comforts. That's why we can trust that the same God who led us into suffering is the same God who loves us because he sees the bigger picture. He understands that Aaron doesn't need these things. What he needs more than any of these earthly comforts is to be more like me. What Aaron needs more than any of these earthly comforts is a weight of gold, eternal gold in heaven for all eternity. The trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, but though it be tried, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. At what time? It doesn't say while you're down here on earth. But at the appearing of Jesus Christ, Christian, some of you will never get it. You'll never understand why you went through a particular trial. You'll never fully get it. But one day you're going to see Jesus face to face. And he's going to give you something to where you can lay it back down at his feet. And he can, he's going to show you that you never understood, but I knew the way that you took. I had beset you behind and before. I had planned. I had put on my schedule and my calendar for you to be tempted in the wilderness. And this was for your good. And you never understood it. But I understood it because I'm the God that understands all things. But you trusted me anyway through those trials, even though you never understood it. You never fully understood and realized the full purpose of it. You never saw, you never were able to see the spiritual purification that happened in your life. But I'm telling you, God will say at this appearing that it happened. And you'll put it down at his feet that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The purpose of your suffering, Christian, it's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. It's clearly spelled out in, in Scripture. If you find nothing else, no other reason for it, it is always for your purification. Every single time. Without fail. Always. Unless that should be exalted above measure, though the abundance of revelation, through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He must increase, but I must decrease. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, 
I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Why was Paul able to take pleasure in these things? Why was Paul able to embrace his suffering? Why was Paul able to suffer well? It is not because God made Paul to be a very special person that's different from all the rest of us. Be very careful about that, Christian. Paul was a man tempted like you and me. He's a hero of the faith. I don't take Paul down from that hero of the faith. I don't do that one bit. But I believe that if Paul were in this room where people were exalting him and glorifying him in such the way that it happens, he would be embarrassed and he would rebuke us. He would say, have I not written these things that I might be an example, that I am a man just as weak as you are? And that the way in which I suffered and I took pleasure in my infirmities and pleasure in my necessities, that it was to show you that you can take pleasure in your infirmities, that you can take pleasure. It is not a battle of flesh and blood, Christians. It's not that Paul was so much more gifted than we are, that he was built to suffer well. No, no, no. It was that he trusted in the Holy Spirit of God to carry him through every single trial and persecution. It wasn't the man, it was the man inside the man. It wasn't Paul, it was the Holy Ghost. And you have that same Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost that was inside of Paul, that was omnipotent and omnipresent, is the same Holy Ghost that's inside of you, that's omnipotent and omnipresent. Is that clock broken? Yes, it is. Oh, my soul. He must increase, but I must decrease. I apologize for that. That clock is broken. It's been quarter till for the last 30 minutes, I think. All right. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.